0: I'm Andrew Smith, the CEO of the Association of Dental Support Organizations, and this is Thank You for Flossing. If you're looking for bites of wisdom on the future of the dental industry, you're in the right place. Stick around. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you to the second uh, episode of Thank You for Flossing. As a quick recap on our first inaugural episode, we had Dr. Sulman Ahmed of Decadental and Dustin Natural of Vista Verde Partners. We had a great conversation about the future direction of ADSO as well as some of the opportunities we're focused on from a workforce development uh, point of view. Uh, our episode today is going to carry on to the workforce side of things, which is a phenomenally interesting topic and something that ADSO is very, very focused on. Uh, we will be hearing uh, from a few guests. Our, our first guest today is John Murphy, who's become a great friend uh, of mine and a, a great leader within the dental industry i just want to give a little bit of a background on on john john murphy's the vp of talent acquisition at aspen dental murph as he's known to his friends and colleagues has been part of aspen dental for almost two decades when he took on the newly created role of director of talent acquisition in 2008 murph was able to help shape how the team would identify and recruit the best talent for the company and we're really grateful to have him join us today I'm excited to hear Murph's point of view uh, on the current challenges in workforce and what Aspen is doing to continue to build the next generation of dentists. So welcome, Murph. Thank you for being on the, the episode.
1: Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Of, of course. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of set up the, the discussion. So for our listeners, we're going to break this into two conversations today. As I mentioned, first we'll be speaking with Murph um, at Aspen Dental as part of the talent acquisition team, and then we'll be chatting with Colton Cannon, uh, who will bring a student and resident perspective to the conversation. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and and get started. So one thing, Murph, that I always love to ask our guests is you know, how they kind of got into the dental space. So you've obviously been at Aspen for a long time, why don't you tell us a little about how you got into this, um, and you know, any other kind of interesting tidbits along the way?
1: Yeah, my background, Andrew was in human resources and systems. And I had been working for an organization uh, out of Boston implementing sort of HR systems, applicant tracking systems. So more of a strategic process consultant going into fortune 1000 companies, um, analyzing their systems and their and their workflows and their process and their structure and their reporting needs, and then helping them, of course, to set up um, new technologies um, that, that they felt they needed to implement at, at that point in time. I did that for about five years. Um, and the truth of the matter is I got stuck in O'Hare Airport one winter for the second time, and I became an active job seeker. And a few weeks later, I met Bob Fontana, our, our founder and CEO, and Sue Decker, our former chief human resource officer. One thing led to another, and I, uh, I joined the business. It was probably a $50 million business with roughly 40 or 45 locations, dental offices at that point in time. Um, here I am 20 years later
0: that's uh that's awesome i mean obviously
1: you've you've seen the growth
0: of the aspen group and you know what i'd love our listeners to hear a little about particularly on you know kind of the talent acquisition side how has the landscape in your mind changed over the last 10 years you know kind of you know where was it 2013 what have you seen as as
1: changing aspects i think i think there's probably a few things i think the the landscape of the delivery system which which you know was you know predominantly private practitioners you know this very segmented mom and pop solo um solo business Um, and back then you know the idea of the the dental support organization was still an emergent one and there was a lot of unknown a lot of stigma um, and there was a lot of resistance to to the change in the in the model. And so you, you really you were up against it when you were trying to sort of, in my view, revolutionize the delivery system in dentistry, create a model that was acutely focused on the needs of the patient. Um, and And people were a little bit afraid of change, uh, particularly in dentistry and, and even more so, I, I tell you in, in, in academia. Um, you know i think as as we've seen d s o s grow now, maybe you know collectively representing twenty five percent of the of the total market, there's still a long way to go. I think that um there's much more awareness now around what what the model uh means, how it um helps support providers um and And delivers on on their needs as both professionals, clinicians, and um, business leaders. There's more of an acceptance. I also think that a younger generation of dentists with tremendous amounts of student loan debt, um you know, just the way in which they're raised and and what they want out of their career has has shifted. And the model, and, and Aspen in particular, I think is is very aligned with their needs. So they've opened their minds, right? They're not just you know, taking what they're hearing from professors and faculty and um other influencers they're seeking out and learning for themselves. And over the last decade, we've been able to really sort of capture the hearts and minds, particularly of the of the newer younger um dentists. The other thing is just the labor market itself, you know, um is basic economics, it's it's supply and demand. And in the last 18, 24 months, you know, we've seen more open jobs in this country than we have in the history. You know, know, we peaked at roughly 12 million open jobs some point last year, I think now we still hover north of 10 million. That's more open jobs than I've seen in my career. And then the labor supply, like the labor force participation rate in this country, is still not what it was sort of, you know, pre-COVID, if you will, it's as low as it's been in 25 years. So that gap has really created an intensely competitive environment, um, both inside and outside of dentistry, but in dentistry in particular, where there is already a fairly fixed supply of providers.
0: No, great great point said. I think, you know, obviously you've touched a little on what has made recruiting into the dental industry a little easier, changing of you know, how students want to practice, you know, less focus on the, you know, handling the business side, having that more support, but that pathway to ownership and just the more natural trends of of where we're going. You, you touched a little on the challenges most recently of, you know, just the labor market, having so many open jobs. When it comes to recruiting dentists, what are some of the other challenges that you've seen over the last, you know? Several years, uh, particularly related to Aspen. What What are some of the things that are difficult on recruiting?
1: Probably the most difficult is is sort of is distribution. Again, you've got supply and demand, and then in our in our business anyway, you know we're going into more you know suburban tertiary markets where there's not a lot of other dentists, where there's not a lot of competition. Right, that's that's good because we think you can run a successful practice. It's also, we believe, good for the community um, because you can break down barriers and create access to care for people who traditionally have lacked that access. But you've got to get the providers to go there, right? And and roughly, you know, 60 to 70% of the dentists in this country are in five major metropolitan markets, right? New York, Boston, Miami, LA, Chicago. And so, Roughly similar percentage of aspen dental offices. sixty percent of our offices are in federally designated health professional shortage areas. so you I've got to I've got to figure out how to get providers to see the opportunity and what it means for them and get them to consider picking up and moving to the locations where they can run a successful practice.
0: yeah, um, talk a little more about that because you and I have had this conversation. Because of these shortages and basically on the markets you just mentioned, wh- what are some of the things that have changed your approach or the approach you take to talking to dentists about moving into some of these areas that are, have such shorted area, shortage to dental care? What, what are some of the things that you all are doing to encourage that, to provide more access to care? Um, I'd love to get your perspective.
1: You got to set the location aside. Actually, it's the number one barrier. I've got to set it aside. You know, you've got to truly understand the motivations of the of the dentist of the particular candidate, um, and make the connection between what's important to them, what they want, and how our value proposition connects directly to that. Right. So I can I can I can set them on a path to help them accomplish their personal, their professional, their financial goals. And 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 when they start to realize um, the value that can that can be brought to them in, in their quest to accomplish those goals through the Aspen Dental network and through our service offerings, mm-hmm. then I can have the conversation about location. It's easier then to overcome that barrier. Um, and then you know we've got to stay true to who we are um, and make sure that. You know what we believe in, and 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 the reasons we do what we do, you you know, are aligned with the, with with that audience and and what what they what they're looking for, um, and make those make those connections very directly. It's the number one challenge, for sure. Um,
0: I can I, I I can only imagine. And you know, just a quick aside. When I was you know with you all at your uh, leadership retreat, celebrating twenty five years last week you know, I had the opportunity to talk to many owner docs and, you know, I grew up in Chicago, in the city, and obviously there are tons of dental shortage areas. And I was amazed to learn how many practices some of the owner docs have in underserved communities. So I think, you know, a testament to you and the Aspen team for being able to, to go into these underserved communities and provide not only great dental care, uh, but, you know, expanding the footprint. And, you know, obviously I'm sure you had a hand in that. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. One one other thing, I, I was reviewing, you know, an interview you did recently with Convey IQ, and, and you spoke about your philosophy for your team and the recruitment process. You talked a little about it, but how are you viewing the philosophy of recruiting with your listeners? I know you touched a little on it. Is there anything else you want to add on that?
1: There's nothing more important in this business than the relationship we have with dentists. And so first and foremost, you know, you're building the the rapport and the foundation for long-term relationships. That's that's critical. It's also a fairly complicated business, you know, when you think about the clinical aspect of dentistry and you think about the insurance landscape and you think about, you know, financing and things of that nature. Um it's important to me that from a recruiting perspective we're not just sort of order takers but that the team is immersed in the in the business and understands uh, what the key drivers uh, of the practice are what levers to pull to really help the the owner doctor grow and develop their practice right to move from one one doctor to two doctors or maybe three doctors multiple hygienists and then for them to to sort of move from one location to multiple locations and what does that look like? And, and and what do they need to do to prepare themselves over a longer period of time? I believe that that the best recruiters can can do those can do those two things: they can build the relationship and they can understand the business. Uh, when when you do that, you can sell it. Make no mistake, we're selling it, and you can make the the connection between candidates and those owner doctors. So that they too themselves build long term partnerships uh, that ultimately are in the best interest of of serving their communities and, and delivering great patient care.
0: No, that's great, and I, I know you've touched a lot on. There's that personal, you know, one on one element in recruiting. Um, one other thing I know we've talked about as well is the use of data in recruiting, and you, could you talk a little about you know that and how you um, use that as a way of recruiting?
1: Yeah, there's a few things, a few ways, I think, which we use data Um, again with a fixed supply of dentists, right, 160,000 general dentists in this country. And we start to consider, um, you know, the various demographics, you know, how we how we leverage that information to build nurturing programs to to to. you know, to create brand awareness, to create understanding of who we are, what we do and the value we offer and to ultimately move them, you know, into the point of consideration, right. Mm -hmm. Visiting our offices, meeting the other practice owners, interviewing, you know, making offers, getting them uh, ready to assimilate into a, a new practice, a new job, a new community, um, and 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 helping them sort of fulfill their, their own goals and, and dreams. But the journey that that those people go on and that the doctors take from the point in dental school to the point they actually come work here is critical information. And so we're constantly um, looking at all various data points, sort of in our in our funnel, if you will. That's how I refer to it. Um, and we're using, right now we're using artificial intelligence, Power BI, to, to sort of draw powerful insights from that data so that we can make recommendations to those owner docs on what behaviors we think will help them, um, you know, ach- achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. In this case, recruiting dentists into into some pretty difficult markets, making sure that the Um, Financial packages that they put together, you know, are competitive within the broader landscape. And um, again, knowing and understanding what's important to to that audience and and that we're using that data and that information to build uh, our own value proposition and continue to make investments in the right place. You've seen our, our headquarters in Chicago. You've seen Tag University um, and the content that's made available to, to clinicians there. You know, those investments are made based on the data we've collected over the years and the learnings and the insights that were drawn um, from from that from that information. Um, so that we can continue to grow, continue to scale, and continue to deliver um, you know, the most unique uh, value proposition to dentists in this country. Very long.
0: What would you say when you're talking and your team are talking to recent grads, what would you say are, you know, two, three major focuses for them when joining Aspen Dental?
1: Oh, mentorship, right? They, they've got a, a peer network of nearly 1500 other dentists that they can tap into to get advice and counsel and guidance. Um, you know, again, the, the, the investments that we make and their ongoing learning both, um, from a clinical perspective, from a leadership perspective, um, from a business perspective and, and understanding service, because at the core of what they deliver, service service is what it's all about. And, and so there's probably, you know, four components to their learning. And that's sort of how TAG University is structured. There's like, there's four schools along, along those same lines um, that package content for them to help them continue to grow, continue to learn. I, I think all of that coming together, right? That the mentorship, the peer-to-peer interaction, the The learning programs, um, that's that's what's at the core of what the younger new graduate is looking for. And I think we deliver on it uh, better than anybody anywhere.
0: A- absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talked with our, our last um, group in the first episode on was, the critical nature in dentistry of, of building stakeholder relationships, you know, external stakeholder relationships, um, you know, obviously working with you all via ADSO, but also one of the things I'd love you to talk a little about are building those relationships and what you've done around clinical rotations, uh, you know, working with universities, um, to make sure students are getting, you know, hands-on training even before. So could you talk a a little about that? And then also, I know Aspen puts on the Vibe conference every year. And, you know, can you speak a little about what that is and, and, and how that is uh, meaningful?
1: Yeah, I'll start with vibe, vibe Vibe sessions. And we also have these other smaller, more intimate, what we call We Got You sessions are a way for us to bring in specific audiences, predominantly students and residents, to really immerse them in our culture, to help them understand and experience firsthand uh, the value that we will bring to them if they choose a career in the Aspen Dental network, um, and and they're you know they're fun, they're exciting, they're entertaining, um and and we believe that that's just who we are, quite honestly. Like we let our hair down every once in a while, and we want them to know that they're a part of something larger. Yes, you're going to go work in a you know a 4,000 square foot you know office you know all day every day, but. You are a part of something that's much larger, um, and and brings you meaning, um, as well. And so that's that's really the intention of the vibe and the we got you sessions, the 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 community based clinical education program that you mentioned um, is a program we started uh, with Dr. Bill Piskorowski roughly four years ago, um, and that is essentially a way for us that we partnered with at the time, uh, this UCLA School of Dentistry. And we put some of our owner doctors on faculty. And so there was a process to, to, to getting that done. Then the owner doctor's office is inspected by CODA, the Commission on Dental Accreditation. And essentially that practice becomes an extension of the dental school, allowing us to then rotate uh, fourth year dental students through through the office of anywhere from two to two to eight weeks at a time. That was really a recruiting play, right? Like, how how do I distribute, as I mentioned earlier, or redistribute talent to the markets where they're needed most? I've, I felt that by putting them in those places for for an extended period of time, they would experience what life is like, they would get a sense of that local community, And the likelihood that they would be willing to go practice there upon graduation would be greater. Um, So we started that program, you know, with one sort of one one owner doctor became, you know, preceptor for the program. And we've since scaled it now to roughly 20 owner doctors. We've expanded to three schools now. Um, And there's there's a a half a dozen to 10 other schools interested in participating in the program. you know, we have hired a, a, a significant handful of the students who rotated through, right? You're doing a few things. You're gaining that competitive advantage. You're overcoming that location barrier. Uh, you're creating buzz within the, the the student community at that school about the experience that they had. So when they when they when they come into the office, they 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 get after it a little bit, and they're able to 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 do things that they haven't been able to do in dental school. Uh, And they love it. And they share that with their peers. And now we've got people lined up waiting to get in where the preferred rotation at UCLA is becoming that at at the University of Washington in Michigan as well. Um, You know, it's a long time in the making. The other thing it it did from my perspective, I I think in having been on the corporate council with Dia for years, they are also, the, the dental schools are also, struggling with recruiting they're short faculty members ballpark in it you know probably roughly 300 or more faculty members across the 70 schools in this country and so this is a way to help them by increasing their faculty it's a way for the the owner doctors themselves to kind of give back a little bit right to think differently uh about how they leverage their license and and you know it in theory, over a the long term, if we really scale, it reduces the need for brick and mortar and supplies. Like you can help, I think, reduce costs for the dental school as well, um, and so it's a it's a win win win, right? For the for the school, for for the student, and for the the Aspen dentist who's who's now a, a lead faculty member in that program.
0: No, and I think you know, thanks to you and Aspen, obviously with the success of that program. And, and for those listening that are in dental school, you know, ADSO is launching our own kind of clinical rotation aspect where we're helping facilitate uh, students into clinical rotations. And I think, you know, you know, I, for those that are interested, please visit our, our website at www.adso.org. And we have a whole setup. And I just want to thank you and Aspen for, for kind of putting this marker down, because I agree with you that it is a win-win across all spectrums and really helping solve that workforce challenge and getting people um, interested, not just in the DSL model, but making sure that they have all the facts and resources to make a decision about where they're going to practice. Last question for you, and kind of the, you know, always like prognostication, where do you see dental recruitment going over the next 10 years?
1: I think the supply remains fairly fixed, right? Um, you're gonna you're gonna see some dentists retire. A few new schools have opened, but I I, I think generally speaking, the the number of new dentists it doesn't change drastically, uh, in, in my view. Particularly when we think about uh, you know serving more rural and tertiary markets, um, I think the application of artificial intelligence to um, our processes and, you know, to the analysis of the data and the information we collect will, will really influence how we better match providers with the uh, practice opportunities. And so for me, you know, I told you my background was in sort of systems and technology. I have a little bit of a, a bug for that, um, you know, um, how do we understand it? How do we understand its application? And how do you utilize it to gain a competitive advantage in, in the marketplace? Um, so, I, I, I believe that you'll see the application of artificial intelligence more predominantly over the next 10 years. Uh, and I think it's necessary if, if you believe there's sort of supply side issues with providers. Um, and, and so, if you can create a better match, you can create a better experience if for, for that provider for candidates in the recruiting process and the likelihood of success is that much greater, it, it can create stability. And, um, and again, I, I, so I see the, the supply remaining fairly stable and I see the application of AI playing a role.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, we're obviously seeing AI in all industries and particularly dentistry. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of how that continues to propel the and fix workforce uh, challenges, but no. I, I Murph, thank you so much for for hopping on. I know you're incredibly busy, so I really appreciate um, you taking the time today to to join us. Well, everybody, I'm very excited to introduce our next guest, uh, Dr. Colton Cannon. I've had a chance to get to know Colton uh, over the last few years, and and his leadership. He's got a, a wonderful background, and we're really excited uh, to have him on today's program. Uh, Dr. Colton recently graduated from the University of Minnesota, where he received his doctorate of dental surgery and master's of public health. He's currently a dental resident at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Where I got to know Colton was when he served as the national chair of the American Student Dental Association, and he's got wonderful insights into what dental students and residents today are looking at for a career career. I'm so glad uh, to welcome you, Colton. Uh, I think your perspective as a recent graduate will be a great opportunity for our listeners. So welcome and and thank you for joining the program.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. Um, It's such an honor to be here with you, to be able to speak with you today. Um, And hopefully I can be able to provide some insight for you.
0: Absolutely. And I know recently engaged, right? I think, is that
2: a couple months old now on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was was fortunate enough um, to get engaged last December. So I'm kind of in the the midst of the wedding planning process right oh, no, now, so I'm re- really enjoying it. Well, that's
0: awesome! Congratulations, and uh, that's a, that's an exciting time. So we'll go ahead and and just jump right into the questions. And obviously, if you've got anything else, you know, feel free to add on um, on on that. So one of the things is you're a recent graduate of the University of Minnesota, as we mentioned. What has it been like to wrap up that chapter of your career and and now begin your residency? What do you think is the most interesting aspect of that?
2: Yeah, I think kind of the most interesting aspect, um, transitioning from dental school to residency or to practice for that matter, um, is really being able to apply all the things that you learned in dental school into the real world on your patients. Um, In dental school, you have a lot of um, assistance and you have a lot of kind of resources there um, to support your learning. Um, Once you kind of get out into residency um, and you get out into practice, you really have the opportunity to shine and really be able to um, put everything that you learned into action um, and be able to kind of stand on your own two feet in terms of treating your patients, coming up with clinical care decisions, as well as um, overall running how you want to do things um, and being able to treat the patients um, based on everything you know and your own clinical experience. So um, I would say the biggest thing is um, just being able to have more independence and being able to – have a little bit more control, um, about the treatment of patients and being able to, um, yeah, kind of, kind of, um, take a more leadership role within, um, clinical dentistry.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, just to even take a step further back, what initially drew you into wanting to become a a dentist, um, and, and practicing oral healthcare?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's, that's great. I, I was fortunate enough, um, My dad's a dentist. I have an older brother who's a dentist. Um, So I really got to learn um, what dentistry is like. And as I went through high school and I went through college, you know, I began to reflect is, you know, what are the things that are really important for me in a career? And I think dentistry really kind of knocks all those um, out is you get to work with people on a daily basis. Um, You get to have one-on-one time with people, be able to get to know them, be able to, um, work with them for a number of years and be able to develop some of those relationships. Um, You also get to work with your hands. You get to be able to actually do something tangible that makes an impact in somebody's day. Um, And, you know, oftentimes I think a lot of individuals are naive to this and often in dentistry we can get naive to it as well as just how impactful um, fixing somebody's smile is um, and what kind of influence it has in somebody's life And when you think about the ability to have an impact and be able to work with people and make tangible improvements in their day-to-day activities, um, dentistry really encompasses all those things. And when I was at the point deciding, you know, what did I want to do? I think dentistry kind of is so valuable in that sense. And I think that's a lot of reason of why individuals get into dentistry and why dentistry is always consistently ranked as, you know, one of the best professions out there. Um is truly it's an amazing group of people. Um, our colleagues are fantastic, um, and we get to have impact on people on a daily basis. and we get to see that impact um, as we as we move forward and we're able to treat our patients.
0: Absolutely. and that, and that's a consistent um, answer I hear from quite a few folks. and uh, it's really exciting to kind of see where the profession is continuing to to grow. You know, I want to switch a little into, you know, what do you perceive as the biggest challenges students have today while in dental school and and now in, in residency? What would you say are a few of those challenges?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the practice of dentistry is evolving so rapidly. Um, and really, I think the biggest challenge is um, exposure to what dentistry looks like today. I think that's a challenge not only in, in residency and dental school, um, but the pace at which dentistry is evolving in terms of new technology, new practice modalities, um, new ways of providing quality dental care is, is changing on a rapid basis. And I think the more students can think outside the box on what their practice is going to look like and how the practice of dentistry uh, can be different than um, what it was in the past is kind of the biggest thing that I think is um, a challenge. I think um Having exposure to different types of practice modalities and different types of opportunities that exist within dentistry um, it, it is something I think is hard for dental students um, as well as residents. I think a lot of times we can get caught in kind of the day to day activity of us doing our clinical work, taking our courses, studying for exams, preparing for the boards. Um, and sometimes we don't think and reflective, you know, what can I do? Um, that suits me the best once I come out of residency, once I graduate dental school. Um, I think there's a lot of different opportunities out there and it's changing all the time. And I think to be able to think outside the box of what those opportunities look like is sometimes a little bit hard when you're in the um, kind of stratified fear of uh, residency or dental school.
0: Got it. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think... The listeners would be really interested to hear. You obviously have the honor of serving as the as the president. Um, what were some of the comments from your fellow students and colleagues about what they were looking for in the profession of dentistry? And and what was it like being uh, you know the president of of all the students in, in dentistry? I think you know a lot of folks would love to know what students are thinking about as they enter into the profession.
2: Yeah, I think. I think more and more um, recently, a kind of a big priority that a lot of recent graduates have is career flexibility. Um, you know, I think the pandemic taught us a lot in terms of um, the things that we value, and especially um, how much more flexibility there is um, to do the same job. Um, and I think now more than ever, when students are graduating, they might not be in a, a solitary city and have a single practice. Um, for for 50 years, like they used to have, Um, you know, it's changing. People want the flexibility to um, maybe live and move in different cities and to, you know, try different practice styles and to be able to um, have more flexibility, kind of more of a a work-life balance and being able to, um, you know, attend more continuing education and looking for some of those more resources. I think more than ever, the kind of notion of, um, you know, graduating dental school, having your name on the sign um, at the corner on Main Street um, is definitely changing and it's not um, as typical for the, for the new graduates to think that that's exactly where they're going to fall into. And I think um, having opportunities for new dental students and residents to be able to um, have flexibility within their career are, are things that a lot of, a lot of new dentists are looking for. Um, they're looking to, um, have some of those changes that might not have been present in previous generations of dentists.
0: hundred no, percent. And I mean, I think as, as you know, ADSO and ADA and the American Dental Hygiene Association have been very focused on, um, advocating for licensure portability. Um, yeah. that's, that's going to be the future. And you touched on, on that. And, you know, when I meet with elected officials or other key stakeholders, I continually remind them that this generation of dentists really wants that flexibility, and there's also a huge patient demand in areas that traditionally haven't had access to oral health care. So, you know, I think it's really exciting that the profession and the future generation that is entering the profession is very aligned on that. Um, so, it, it's something we're excited to be to be working with. You touched on um, a little about students and and, and what they, you know, really want as they practice. You know, here at ADSO, as you you know, we've launched a DSO difference campaign and really have put on an opportunity to be a resource for students, you know, on our website, you know, kind of what are the different practice modalities? What do you think is helpful for, for dental students to kind of understand about their career options? You know, we're obviously very Focused on listening to students and kind of what they want, we, you know, know quite a bit. We just talked about licensure portability. What other issues do you believe students need to have as a resource in order to make a, a good career decision on whether or not they go to a solo practice, academia, a dental support organization, um, research? What 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 are the kind of things that they need to best make their decision?
2: Yeah, I think I think the answer to that question is exposure um i think to be able to get dental students you know to be able to hands on see what the different opportunities exist are um you know is crucial um i think that a lot of people you can read about it and you can provide the resources um which is fantastic um but at the same time if you have the opportunity to hands on show some of these students whether it's through shadowing or um, any other matters, what the opportunities look like that might be beyond what they traditionally think. Um, Again, it's it's changing so rapidly that um, kind of the more private practice model um, isn't the most desirable model for all graduates. Um, Dental students want the opportunity to be able to do dentistry in different ways and to be able to have new avenues to grow their skill sets and, and new opportunities that I think the exposure that they have and the understanding that they can really customize um, how they want to practice um, is an opportunity. Um, and you know so many individuals practice so differently uh, you know especially within the DSO model, allowing for that flexibility um, is crucial and for students to be able to understand that that's an avenue. Um, is important, and I think um, knowing that they can um, have more flexibility and have new opportunities that they might not have thought about prior is a great way. Um, again, I think looking back on on my experience, I think really seeing it is the best way, um, and really just having students engage and being able to understand um, what options are out there. Um, firsthand is the best way to get experience um, to some of these new, more flexible models that you're mentioning.
0: No, that's great. And, you know, we're very focused, obviously, on providing opportunities like clinical rotations and allowing the student to have exposure. I think that's, that's a huge aspect. And, you know, we really value ourselves as that third party neutral resource of, uh, you know, Hey, here's what a dental support organization offers from technology, mentorship, continuing education, um, you know, not having to handle the the back office, you know, things like that. Just, I agree with you, just having that opportunity to hear from kind of the folks without having a quote, you know, pitch meeting, if you will, about, you know, can you come work for me, whether or not solo practice or an academia or a DSL. Um, you've touched on a lot of points, but, you know, what would you say is the best advice or, or the advice that you would give a D1 or a D2 student from your role as, as the president to now being in, in a resident? What, what are, you know, one or two top pieces of advice? You mentioned exposure, you mentioned, you know, kind of thinking, you know, a broader about how the industry is changing. Anything else that you think is worthwhile for dental students who are listening today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. If I if I were to go back and tell my, my D1 self one thing, I would say um, keep an open mind and keep an open mind to opportunities. Um, you're never, you never know what's gonna be presented in front of you. Um, And if you're presented an opportunity that excites you, run with it. You never know where it's going to take you. I can tell you right now, if you were to tell D one me the progress of leadership, I would have made an NASDAQ. I would have been surprised. Um, But you find those opportunities as they're given to you. And each opportunity leads to another opportunity. And the path and the journey that will take you on um, can really bring you to some amazing places. Uh, So keep an open mind. Whenever you want to try something, find some of the things that you're passionate about and really run with them. Um, Expose yourself to as much areas of dentistry and as much areas of the profession as you can and expose yourself to a wide variety of professionals within the profession and really hear their insight. Being in dental school is an amazing time to be a sponge for knowledge. Soak all that information you can um, because it's going to make you better in the long run and you never know where that path will take you.
0: You know, well well said, and you know, we're excited to obviously continue to work with you. And I'm very excited to see kind of how your next steps progress in, in residency and uh, your, your future career at, you know, I definitely think the future of dentistry is bright. Uh, and, you know, really just want to thank you for taking the time today to, to join us. I know you've got a busy uh, work and study load. And, and I also want to thank John Murphy from Aspen Dental for, for joining us earlier. Um, I think this is a, a, a great way to continue the kind of conversation about the future of dentistry here on the podcast. Thank you for flossing. So Colton, Dr. Cannon, thank you for uh, for for being on, and uh, we, we appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for having me. Um, it was a privilege to be able to share some of my insight with you today.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Thank you for Flossing. I'm Andrew Smith. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss our next episode. And to learn more about how dental support organizations are driving the future of oral health, visit www.theadso.org. That's www.theadso.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.